0: Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 71 Harrison White, running for City Councilor in Ward 1, recorded on September 5th, 2018. Harrison White, you're running for City Councilor in Ward 1. Welcome to the Public Records, the 155 podcast. Thank you. Firstly, tell us, who is Harrison White?
1: Harrison White's an ambitious, driven, transparent individual who's looking to change the way our political system works right now. I'm looking to do that from within, as I don't have the money to do it from without, to donate to campaigns, things like that. I'm a Guelph University graduate in the Criminal Justice and Political Science program, as well as a certificate in Public Policy Management. I'm the same age that Bob Morrow was when he won Ward 1 for his first election at 22 years old, and he was Hamilton's longest-serving mayor. I'm hoping to resonate just as well as he did with the constituents of Ward 1 and hopefully be just
0: as successful. Why are you running?
1: I'm running because I believe, the short answer anyways, is because I believe I'm just as qualified, if not more so, than any of the other candidates in Ward 1. I believe that constituents are tired of the same old people running for the same wards over again and not really changing the policy that we have in Hamilton. I believe that we need to move Hamilton forward, and I believe that through me, I represent an option outside of the usual crowd of individuals who are already deeply embedded in Hamilton politics. My interest in politics started within this city as I was hit by a car over on Dundurn Street South when I was 10 years old. My involvement with the lawyer and the process drove me to my interest in public policy on a whole, and that's why I ended up pursuing a criminal justice and public policy degree
0: at the University of Guelph, as well as a political science degree there as well. Do you live in Ward 1, yes or no? Yes. Does not matter if one lives in the community one seeks to represent?
1: I think it's an added bonus. I think it really depends. I don't think it adds anything at all to the candidate's platform or their understanding of the city if it's a recent addition. So if they've moved here in the last three or four years, I don't really think that gives somebody more insight than somebody that lived in, let's say, Ward 2 for 10 or 20 years. I think that person still might have a better idea of how the community functions. For myself, I've lived in Ward 1 my entire life. I grew up there. I went to school at Strathcona. I went to school at Dalewood, and then I went to school at Westdale, graduated there from Westdale Secondary School. So I have a lot of roots and ties in Ward 1, but no, I don't think it's a make-or-break issue for, for any candidate.
0: How have you contributed to your community and our city?
1: I haven't done as much for our community as I would have liked. I've done some little things. I've volunteered at nursing homes. I've volunteered with the Hamilton Avery and food drives, things like that. But I haven't had a dedicated long term contribution to the city of Hamilton. I believe, as a city councilor, that would be my first major contribution to the city of Hamilton, as I think I believe I bring great ideas about the community and city partnerships that will really improve the quality of life for many citizens. Father has been really involved in the community. He was actually on the Ward 1 PBAC committee. And he was, again, this is touching on why I'm running, but he was unhappy with the way the funds were used when he was participating in that committee and he resigned from that. So I look to hopefully be just as involved as he is in
0: the coming years. What are your two priorities for Ward 1 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole?
1: In my opinion, this is probably one of the hardest questions I would have to answer because there's so many concerns of residents throughout the ward and throughout Hamilton. Uh, Ward 1 has a ton of different demographics, and so that means their priorities are going to be a lot different based on who you're speaking to. If I had to narrow it down, I'd say specifically in Ward 1, we need to focus on improving infrastructure and affordable housing. General infrastructure is really important, in my opinion, because I think there are a lot of little things that can be done to improve the quality of life for people without significant expense or review by city council. Like improving the number of bike racks throughout the ward, adding protection lanes on bike lanes for busy roads and busy intersections, as well as just adding benches and more waste collection baskets. Things like ashtrays and garbage cans near bus stops. Councillor Johnson and his predecessor, Brian McHaddy, did not spend the $200,000 maintenance fund choosing to bank it for emergencies instead. That's fine. Personally, I would have liked to have seen part of that budget go back into the city and into Ward 1 and spent on the infrastructure as it was supposed to. It's a great idea to plan for future problems, but there's no reason to bank the entire budget for that. Ward 1 faces extreme difficulties in terms of affordable housing. You can look at the property tax increase for 2018 city budget. Ward 1 had the highest payment increase, $172, compared to a place like Ward 14, which only paid an increase of $21. That demonstrates the extreme increase in price for the housing market, and it's not looking like that's something that's going to go away without some government interference or involvement. At the city level, Hamilton residents on a whole have seen rents increase faster than the average of Ontario. Fiction rates have gone up exactly with that as landlords seek to improve their profits. Luckily, residents are already fighting back with the adoption of things like ACORN and Hamilton. But I believe the city can do more. And that was shown by the social planning and research Hamilton, who did a study in June comparing Hamilton's policies on renter protection to that of the Quebec City. Quebec City is similar in size as well as growth metrics. So it makes it a great comparison for the city of Hamilton. And landlords love to make people think that improving tenant protection will hurt their profits or discourage development. But when Quebec City added more rental protection, they actually developed more. They developed 12,000 private primary rental market units since 2011. And in that same time period, Hamilton has only created 700. That really demonstrates that we're clearly doing something wrong. And there's clearly something that the city can do to facilitate improved affordable housing for the city as a whole. The other major city project that I think needs to be addressed is the massive problem the city has with public transit. Even with the addition of the McNabb terminal, there's still infrequent bus times, irregular schedules, and I don't know why, but we still don't stagger bus routes that serve the same areas. So I think that's my number one city priority.
0: What are three skills you will bring to elected office that makes you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council?
1: I think I bring a multitude of skills as a potential city councillor that make me suitable for the job. If I had to pick three that make me the best suited, I think I'd have to pick my ability for teamwork, my ability to work under pressure, and my ability to adapt to criticism. I believe these three skills really interact well with each other to make me the best candidate to represent not only Ward 1, but concerns throughout the city. I'm not only willing to work with others, but I want to listen and learn from them as well. That's something that I think many people aren't really willing to do, and it's something I think I really excel at, is taking constructive feedback and really just implementing it in my day-to-day life. I want people in my ward to feel comfortable telling me if they feel that my decision is wrong. As long as they provide me with a reason why I'm wrong, I'm more than willing to, to handle the criticism and learn from it.
0: Hamilton's zoning regulations prevent the building of multi unit clustered housing, which is in scale with existing single family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. The missing middle is medium density, transit connected housing in walkable communities and is important to young renters, first time owners, and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton. You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward?
1: Development is a major concern for me, especially considering, as a young person, my prospects for the future right now. It really doesn't look great for starting a family and growing up and establishing roots in Hamilton. I've seen my dad struggle with a small business at the time, and my mother worked for the Hamilton School Board. She was underpaid and overworked, and that's not what I want to see happen to other families in Hamilton. Now, while I know a lot of that is out of my control as a municipal councillor, I think it all comes down to social development. And I think the first step is developing affordable housing. With that needs to come improvement to transit and the overall attractiveness of, in my opinion, the downtown core. The growth plan created in 2006 by the provincial government mandates intensification, and I think, in my opinion, intensification is better than urban sprawl. Urban sprawl leads to just as many difficulties as intensification, and at least with intensification, it is easier for the city to improve access to services through the increased density, which cheapens distribution. A recent study done by Urbanarium in Vancouver sought to address the affordable housing crisis by coming up with creative solutions to establish mid-density housing in the city of Vancouver in the suburb of, I believe it was Burnaby. There's affordable solutions to housing problems that we have, and Urbanem demonstrated that through a shared living space. Basically, they had different costs to the areas of the home. So a student could rent an $800 studio apartment, and a family of three could rent a three-bedroom apartment for $1,800 a month combined that was able to offset the total cost of the housing. I think that there's no reason why we can't implement housing like this in Hamilton, especially through the Social Housing Com- uh, Committee. And I think if it's done properly, there won't be that many concerns about the development itself. We can do it in a way that's attractive to the city. We don't have to build massive skyscrapers, and we can ensure that people have places to live. It's really important to ensure that we have mid-density housing, as you mentioned, because the target audience for that style of housing is young people and the elderly. Hamilton has 153,000 people born between the years 1982 and 1997. This means that combined with the seniors, that makes these the majority of the citizens within Hamilton. I believe the entire lower city could be ripe for mid-density growth, if I'm being honest with you. But with such a large portion of the city in the right demographic, there's more than enough demand for it.
0: Town and gown tensions, a phrase coined by academics, are nearly as old as universities themselves. In one of the most famous examples, a three-day riot in Oxford resulted in 62 students and nearly as many townspeople dead in 1355. The Scholastica State Riot broke out after a dispute about beer in a local tavern. Luckily, town and gown conflicts today are much tamer and involve much more substantive issues. As the Ward 1 counselor, you will be responsible for representing both town and gown. How will you effectively represent both and successfully mediate to create solutions which balance both interests?
1: I think luckily for Hamilton, at least to my knowledge, we haven't had any conflict quite as bad as that brawl that turned into a what sounds like a riot. However, you're definitely right. There are tensions as old as universities themselves, with Hamilton being no exception. I think the thing that prepares me the most for this, and maybe more so than other candidates, is my recent experience as a university student. I lived in a mainly residential neighborhood in my student house, and I think we had a very good repertoire with our neighbors. We had an elderly person that I helped shovel or walk, and so did all my other roommates. It was just common courtesy. And I think it really just comes down to education and courtesy. I think that's really how we balance those priorities. We need to work with not only students and residents, but the university itself to establish guidelines and and community supports to ensure that there aren't conflicts. So for example, I think McMaster is doing a great job on their new off-campus residence, holding a second consultation in the coming days on community feedback for what they want to see changed about this new 1,400-bed residence just outside of McMaster campus. And that's the mentality that I want to approach the entire conflict with is through courtesy, understanding and just communication. I believe that most students and most residents have mutual respect for each other and they realize that they're mutually dependent, the university is a massive contributor to our local economy and as such we do need to keep that in mind that they they are a massive part of employment in Hamilton and the attractiveness of Hamilton as a city. That being said, we can't disregard safety concerns, property concerns, and noise concerns and quality of life for the residents in the area. So like I said, it really just comes down to to working together and, and establishing a culture of community, a culture of respect, and fostering programs with the HPS, bylaw services, and McMaster to ensure that everybody is on the same page.
0: What are two changes you will propose to improve city services?
1: One thing I'd like to see changed is Hamilton's waste management strategy. Right now, the city of Hamilton is lagging behind other municipalities in multiple aspects of waste management, such as diversion targets. We have alternatives that were proposed back in 2013 that were never taken up and have been studied and proven successful in other municipalities, such as Guelph, for example. These alternatives not only save taxpayers money, which could be reallocated to other departments or used to pay down Hamilton's deficit, but it is better for the environment as well. This has been the case with Guelph's bi-weekly card collection system and is outlined in more detail on my platform. The other city service that I believe is the city's bylaw enforcement. Many in the neighborhoods I've canvassed so far suggest that bylaw is relatively ineffective in their areas and I think this needs to be looked into considering we just allotted a 2.7% increase in the bylaw and licensing service in the 2018 budget. I would like to make this more transparent to the public, to a better idea of what bylaws are actually doing, how many tickets they're distributing, what the profit versus loss is on these subjects. Things like that, I think, deserve to be public knowledge, because why increase a service that many residents are feeling is ineffective? And I believe, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they tabled the proposal to have one permanent bylaw officer that works at night shift till 5 a.m. I know they tabled it in 2017, and I couldn't find it passed again in 2018, so I'm assuming it was tabled again. So currently, bylaw officers don't service after 1 a.m. due to safety concerns, and I understand that. But I'd like to work with HBS because, according to residents in West they're not feeling as though the bylaw is hearing their issues and their problems in the ward.
0: What are two changes you will propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton?
1: I think this is another difficult question because it really depends on the timeline you're looking at. I have some grandiose ideas that I'd love to see implemented, but it'll really depend on who else is elected to council and how well I can get them on the same page. One thing I think I can propose right away that won't cause much conflict is staggered bus routes, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. It's a minor change, but would drastically improve the transit process for many Hamilton residents, as right now, if you miss a bus in Hamilton, you can look at an hour to two hour setback because you don't only miss that bus, but you'll miss your connecting bus, which not all buses run every 10-15 minutes like the B line. So if you miss your connecting bus, you're now sitting around for another half an hour, 45 minutes, and it can cause a lot of problems for people who depend on public transit, which is actually a massive part of Hamilton, as well as Ward 1 itself. And it's simply because if you miss one bus, you miss the other. And I think it's a ridiculous inconvenience when we have the ability to solve it in a pretty simple and cost effective manner. The second change i would propose is improve beautification of the city i think right now the city does spend quite a bit of money on beautification but i think we can work with i don't know if any of you guys have seen the flower bank sponsored by west town for example and i think we need to do more of that more partnerships with either businesses or nonprofits to establish benches in the city more ashtrays in the city i've recently just read an article in the spectator and many businesses in the downtown core are really frustrated with the amount of cigarette butts In front of their properties because even when they vacuum it when they sweep it up it sticks and cracks and and these things they seem minor but they really add up they can really speak a lot about the city hamilton has a pretty poor reputation outside of the area unfortunately like when i went away for university a lot of people were scared of me just because i grew up in hamilton yes hamilton has that much of a negative stereotype to people outside the region but for me, when I brought these people to the city and showed them where I grew up and things like, you know, Shadok Waterfall and, or, or Albion Falls, things like that, they really realized just how beautiful the city was. And I think there's a lot of potential to draw in investors. And I think this is just one little change that'll really improve that.
0: Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked balloting enables voters to choose by prioritizing candidates, such as the top three. They feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots?
1: I support ranked ballots, especially in municipal elections. I think more so than even in federal or provincial elections, a ranked ballot makes sense in a municipal election because you're not voting for a party, you're voting for an individual. So you could feel that three individuals all have potential, but like one more because of a certain part of the platform. And it's not crossing party lines necessarily, unlike in a provincial or federal election. These are the people that you think are qualified to run the city. And the hard work behind rank ballots is done by staff, not citizens. It's really not a complicated process for citizens to be explained. And that's it. The complicated stuff isn't on a citizen to figure out. I think I've heard one of your podcasts where I, th- I believe it was an incumbent in Ward 10 said she felt ranked ballots were less democratic. And I really just don't understand that. Because if you look at, for example, the 2014 municipal election in Ward 1, there were 8,735 votes cast in that election between six candidates. This year we have 12 or 13 candidates in the race right now. And if we divide it by the same number of votes, that means a person could win a ward with 34,000 people with a mere 673 votes. That doesn't really sound too democratic to me. Counselors who voted with the status quo state that the process is difficult to voters. And as I said, I just really don't buy that. People file taxes, they file complaints, they, they file refund forms. People do things that are a lot more complicated than voting through the ranked ballot system. And I think it would really improve the election process in Hamilton if they adopted it.
0: How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years?
1: I would like to provide the citizens with essentially just more accountability from City Hall. I think accountability really improves a lot of things. It tends to improve just all the aspects of local governance, especially when public knows exactly what's going on. I don't think councillors are as willing to bill, you know, frivolous lunches or catered lunches. For meetings, things like that, they're not as willing to spend money if they know that the public is going to keep track of that. I'd like to see more use of providing citizens with information they need to make informed decision, and the use of referendums on some city issues, for example, to increase voter turnout at municipal elections. People would, in my opinion, be a lot more likely to come out if they felt that their voice was actually heard, even if their vote, according to them, may not matter. At least they know their referendum vote will. So I think that would be a great draw for the people of Hamilton. I want to improve civic engagement through working with community organizations, as I feel community organizations can often be more in touch with the problems of a neighborhood than some counselors. And by working with organizations such as that, it'll really improve our understanding of what the people need. I think the best way to improve the city's civic engagement and involvement is to work with these groups on city and ward issues. I want to increase the accountability of City Hall to taxpayers overall. So councilors need to have more oversight on their uh, not autonomous funds, such as the Area Rating Fund, which has little to no oversight despite being intended for infrastructure. And when you look at the spending, and it was one of the reasons my father wasn't comfortable staying on the PBAC committee, was that the funds were being misappropriated. It's not to say that they weren't being used for issues in the ward, but they weren't being used for infrastructure issues. And when I talk to people that haven't had their road repaved in 15, 20 years, they can't get their wheelchair over the edge of, of a sidewalk because there's no slope for them to get onto it. They missed a job interview because a bus was an hour late. Those are the type of things where little improvements can go a long way for the quality of life of citizens. And I think by increasing the accountability, we'll really be able to, and, and by listening to citizens and engaging with citizens, we'll really be able to improve the, the life of, of every citizen.
0: How will the City of Hamilton's strategic plan guide your decision making in hiring a new city manager? And what qualities do you seek in your city manager?
1: I think that's a difficult question. A city manager's job is essentially to be, for lack of a better term, babysitter of council almost. They take our dreams and our ideas and and try and put them into a, a realistic terms, essentially. A lot of counselors don't come from a policy background, unlike myself. And so they don't really understand the issues that multiple stakeholders may have on certain things. I think a new city manager needs to be able to mediate between the employees and the counselors themselves and talk to the councillors about what is a realistic goal. You know, Chris Murray was just left Hamilton to go to Toronto, the city of Toronto, and was unanimously adopted there as a city manager. And I think he displayed a lot of the qualities that we need. He managed 7,800 employees and was able to get Hamilton through some, some majorly difficult times since I believe 2009. And I think we need to look for somebody that can do that again. You know The City of Hamilton's strategic plan says that we need to have engaged and empowered employees, and I think that's the number one thing we want. There's no point, it doesn't matter what a city manager does, if his employees aren't driven and don't share the same vision as council, things in Hamilton aren't going to be done as effectively or cost-effectively as they otherwise could be.
0: Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so?
1: It's about being willing to be creative in the solutions we need to find for problems. It's about providing the same services for less of a price and therefore be able to begin to get more out of the resources the city does have. I'd like to work with other municipalities to pressure the province into improving certain facilities, such as hospital capacity in the city. As we, along with many other cities, are bearing the brunt of the cost for hospital wait times through things like employing extra paramedics, it still don't have enough space in hospitals. So, for example... In 2017, there were over 500 ambulance calls that were life-threatening that had to wait 20 minutes or more for an ambulance. I find that a little ridiculous. Even though the city has hired an extra seven paramedics, that doesn't do much if there's physically no room in the hospital plenty of room in the Hamilton budget to establish cost cutbacks without lowering the quality or level of service we get. For example, utilizing a different garbage collection strategy rather than that of the current plan would save about $2.3 million. It's cost-cutting saving measures like that that will allow me to work with limited resources.
0: It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that is just ending. What three words do you hope we will use to describe your term on council and what three words do you hope will describe council as a whole?
1: I hope the three words that you use to describe me are the same three words I'm using to describe my campaign. I hope you describe me as ambitious, as community-centric, and as transparent, as I think those are the three pillars that Hamilton really needs more of in order to succeed and move forward as a city. I hope you describe council as accountable, productive, and hardworking. I hope we improve our attendance to meetings and drop that below 13 percent.
0: Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing remarks you wish to share?
1: I want to thank you for having me on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time and I want to thank you for the service you're providing to Hamiltonians through this segment. I hope anyone listening gets out to vote on October the 22nd, whether or not it's for me, and hope you base it on education and and promises that can actually be fulfilled. Thank you for your time and, and good luck.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I wish to thank the Hamilton Public Library, we're at the Central Branch, for the use of their sound studio where we recorded this podcast. This has been Episode 71 of The Public Records, The 155 Podcast. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of The 155 Podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.